Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind him. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Barth. Good gosh, dirty! This is the Heel Tough Blog What's going on, guys? Anthony Pagnata, Josh Marlowe here with you late night, uh, late later than we normally do it on a Friday night here. Uh, but look, we, we had to uh, watch the Duke Blue Devils get beat in basketball uh, by Caleb Love and the Arizona Wildcats. What a perfect way to lead into a game where Carolina will hope to do the same thing only on the gridiron, that is take down the Blue Devils of Duke. On Saturday night in Keenan Stadium over uh, on ACC Network, a huge game uh, for Carolina, uh, one that they absolutely need. It may uh, come with them already being eliminated from ACC championship contention, um, but regardless, it's one that Carolina really needs for the overall direction of the program and everything like that. It's also senior day. It's also probably, excuse me, the final time that Carolina will see Drake May in a Tar Heel uniform at home. Uh, he is, uh, as many would expect, bound for the NFL at the end of the season. But he's not the only one that will be playing his final game in Keenan Stadium on Saturday. It is going to be senior day. And here's the list of the guys that are going to participate in senior day. We'll start with the guys that will have exhausted all of their eligibility, will not be back uh, regardless uh, of what, you know, once the season is over, um, there won't be any decisions on the horizon for any of these guys. Uh, safety Geo Biggers, uh, running back British Brooks, safety Don Chapman, uh, defensive lineman Tamari Fox, edge rusher Amari Gaynor, uh, offensive lineman Corey Gaynor, uh, long snapper Drew Little, offensive tackle Spencer Rollin. Those are the guys uh, that have exhausted all of their eligibility and will be officially moving on uh, to either the NFL or to the next stage in life uh, after uh, the season is over. And then there's the guys that are uh, seniors in the classroom that will walk uh, tomorrow but 
could have the option to come back to Carolina, could have the option to enter the transfer portal, potentially look elsewhere. Uh, that uh, starts with offensive tackle, former offensive tackle, Caden Baker, who medically retired. Uh, you have uh, Kedrick Bingley-Jones, the defensive lineman. Jefferson Boaz, the depth quarterback. Jalen Brooks, the special teams ace and linebacker. Noah Burnett, the starting place kicker. Uh, Chance Carroll, the offensive, uh, the depth offensive lineman. Uh, John Copenhaver, uh, the the uh, big contributor at tight end. Colby Doreen, the walk-on defensive lineman. Uh, Des Evans, the uh, starting edge rusher for the team. Uh, Cedric Gray, the starting linebacker. Uh, Elijah Green, the depth running back. Uh, Jake Harkle Road, the uh, walk-on linebacker, Kevin Hester Jr., the starting defensive lineman, Christopher Holiday, the starting, uh, the uh, excuse me, the reserve safety, uh, Elijah Huzzy, the starting slot corner, uh, Kamari Morales, another guy that's a contributor at tight end, Miles Murphy, the starting defensive lineman, Kamen Rucker, the starting edge rusher, Landon Stevens, the walk-on wide receiver, Spencer Triplett, the long snapper for the team on uh, on place kicking uh, downs. Ethan West, the former linebacker who did medically retire, as well as Trey Zimmerman, a former offensive lineman who did medically retire as well. So those are all the guys that are going to walk tomorrow. Uh, of course, as we mentioned, could be Drake May's final game. Could also be another guy to keep an eye on uh, that is an underclassman that could play his final game on Saturday is Tez Walker in Keenan Stadium. So uh, those are the guys uh, that uh, will be honored, and uh, hopefully Carolina fans will show out in droves to cheer on. All right, let's get into the actual game against the Blue Devils and what's going to happen on the field uh, once they get in between the lines. And, you know, this is a chance for the Tar Heels to continue their recent stretch of success against Duke. Uh, so far, under Mac Brown 2.0, Carolina 4-0. Um, they have, you know, picked up some big wins, including last year's win on the road uh, against the Blue Devils, who at the time, I don't know, really know how many people knew how good Duke was at that time, but if you look back on last year, that's probably Carolina's best win from a year ago. Um, going there and finding a way to put together a game-winning drive at the end. Of course, the touchdown pass from Drake made and Antoine Green to seal it uh, at the end of the game. Uh, just a, a huge play and one that uh, Drake May looked back fondly on earlier this week. Mac Brown, all-time against Duke in his time at Carolina, 12-2. and Just a phenomenal record against the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, and it's, it's part of the reason why he has been able to have so much success in his time on the Tar Heels sidelines is taking care of of that rivalry uh, for a while, taking care of the NC State rivalry, and, of course, taking care of some of the other matchups that the Carolina has had in state. Um, you, you look at this Duke team, and look, th this is a team that I think is kind of similar almost to Carolina uh, in the fact that they started the year out very well, um, but, you know, here lately they haven't been as good of a team as they were early in the season. Still 6-3, and 3-2 three, three and two in conference. Uh, offensively, 25.7 points per game, 341 yards of total offense per game, just 161.1 through the air, though, 180 on the ground, 
Uh, really, the big thing for them that you need to know is that Riley Leonard will not be active for this game. Had a toe injury uh, that uh, just a couple of weeks ago they said is going to keep him out for a significant period of time. Uh, that means that he will not play in this game on Saturday night. And so that means true freshman Grayson Loftus is going to be the guy that starts this game. Started the other night uh, against the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Uh, did not have the greatest outing by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, just 118 yards through the air for him in that one. One touchdown, one interception. So not great, but uh, still, I, I think, you know, a guy that's uh, – that, 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 you know, if Carolina is not careful, especially with some of their recent struggles, uh, one, as a double-digit favorite, and two, against backup quarterbacks, uh, it could come back to potentially bite them. Uh, you look at the running game, Duke boasts uh, really one of the better ones in the conference, one of the better ones Carolina has faced so far this year. So they have to be prepared for that. Jordan Walters uh, is their starting running back, but they do use two backs, Jacquez Moore, uh, we'll also see a ton of carries in this game uh, as well. So Carolina has to be prepared for both of those guys and uh, a team that's probably going to lean pretty heavily on their run game in this one. When they do throw the football, though, two very good receivers, Jalen Calhoun, who's coming off a really rough game against Wake Forest where he had three drops. He's going to want to bounce back, but he's having a really good year out of the slot. Jordan Moore uh, is the guy on the outside that Carolina will have to find a way to take away. Uh, but when you look at this team, really the strength of this Duke team is on the offensive line. Um, this is easily, in my mind, the best offensive line that Carolina's faced this year. I know Miami, uh, who, who Carolina faced uh, right around midseason, had an offensive line that was much, much better than in years past and was ranked up there near the top of the country in a couple of categories. But this offensive line really is as good as it gets. Um, the thing is, the key for Duke in, in this matchup and what will determine uh, how good of a unit Carolina has to face is will they have their starting left tackle, Graham Barton. Graham Barton, one of the best offensive pro uh, line prospects in this next coming uh, next year's draft. A highly regarded, a guy that uh, if he had stayed healthy the entire year would have been in the battle for some of those awards along the offensive line and in the trenches at the end of the season. Uh, but he's lit, he's missed the last month with an injury that he suffered against UConn. So, you know, that it's still a unit that's pretty good. But when you lose a guy that uh, of that significance, it is a little tough. Even if he's not out there, though, you still got a guy like Jacob Monk on the interior of the offensive line, another highly regarded offensive lineman that could be first team all conference at the end of the season. So still, it'll be a really, really tough group. You go over to the defensive side of the ball. This is the best defense Carolina will play uh, or has played so far this year. Back-to-back uh, -back weeks, they'll face two really good defenses. They got Clemson, of course, on the road next weekend. But this defense allowing just 15.7 points per game, 329.1 yards of total offense, 179.3 passing yards allowed per game, and 149.8 rushing yards. Uh, really, it all starts up front for Duke. Loaded group of defensive linemen, as it has been for years. R.J. Oban and Wesley Williams off the edge, having great years. They've combined for 35 total pressures already this year. And then in the middle, Dwayne Carter, a guy that's been there for years, 
having a really solid year, but a guy that's having an even better year is Aeneas Peoples. So uh, this is the toughest defensive line group. There are four different guys that can really hurt you, and they rotate a couple of guys in uh, as well that are capable of making plays. Carolina's offensive line has to be prepared for that in this one. Linebacking four in solid shape. Uh, Trey Freeman, uh, one of the nation's leading tacklers with 71 already this year, uh, is a guy that Carolina has to be aware of. But they have a key injury in their linebacking core. Dorian uh, Mousad is a guy who missed the last game. I'm not sure what his status is for this game. It's questionable. So uh, if he plays, that would be uh, a guy that Carolina has to be aware of. He's been very good in coverage, had a good year tackling. Uh, but if not, that would be uh, something that Carolina can take advantage of, hopefully, in the running game. The defensive backfield might be the weakest part of this entire defense, but still a really good unit. Chandler Rivers having a really good year on the outside at corner. Uh, Brandon Johnson is their slot corner, and he has had a tremendous year. And then safety Jalen Stinson, also a name that's worth noting. Special teams unit for them. Uh, is you know a solid one, but it's not as good as it's been in years past. Having trouble kicking the ball. Todd Polino already missed four kicks so far this year. Um, their punter is outstanding, though. Porter Wilson, one of the strongest legs in the entire country, averaging 47.6 yards per game this year. And Jalen Calhoun, also a guy that can be dangerous as a punt returner. Uh, so there is your look at the Blue Devils. And uh, you know, but I, th this is a team we know. We know a, a lot about this team because you know, being in this area, being on WFNZ, we talk about them a lot. Uh, this is going to be a pretty significant test for Carolina across the board. Uh, or you could argue. I mean, I know Miami was up there. This might be the most complete team the Tar Heels have faced so far this year. And it kicks off a stretch of Carolina's three toughest games. Um, and, and this is a good test for what Carolina's going to see the next two weeks when they go to Clemson and when they go to NC State, to, uh, as you're going to see the three of the best defenses you've seen all season long and three of the most physical teams that you've played all season long. And so um, I think we're going to really learn if Carolina is up to the challenge, both from a physicality standpoint and a mentality standpoint, because Mike Elko – breathed a life into that program overnight, you know, showed up on the scene um, and, and took a program that had fallen under David Cutcliffe um, and, and, and took them back to, to winning, to winning football. And, you know, you're talking about a Duke team that beat Clemson by three touchdowns was a fourth and 16 stop away from beating Notre Dame at home. Um, took a, I think they were leading in the fourth quarter in Tallahassee. Um, against Florida State um, before Riley Leonard got hurt again. Um, and, and so they have they have played some of their best ball against some of their best opponents. Um, they've had some off nights like the Louisville game where their offense was just completely out of rhythm. That was, of course, the game that Leonard, I think, was the last really time he, he played mm -hmm. any, any meaningful snaps. And so Carolina's going to have their hands full because even though this Duke offense isn't what it was with Riley Leonard, They've won games with completing four passes, like because because they 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 can run the ball. And as much as any team that Carolina has faced this year, Duke knows who they are as well as anybody, and they know what their limitations are, and they know the things that they can and can't do to give themselves a chance to win. And so, 
Um, I know Leonard is not going to be on on the field for the Blue Devils tomorrow, but Carolina is still going to have their hands full with, with a, a well-coached, a well-balanced, a very physical Duke Blue, uh, Duke Blue Devil team. Probably the best coach team that they've seen so far this year as well, which, again, is saying a lot. I mean, Carolina is – uh, this will be their ninth game of the season, so or no, uh, tenth game of the season, believe it or not. Jeez, I can't believe we're already to ten games uh, this season. So, yeah, I mean, this, this is, you know, they, they deserve a lot of credit. Uh, they're a team that's fought hard, as you mentioned. I mean, winning a game with four uh, while completing four passes. Now, granted, that was against an NC State offense that really couldn't do anything, but it really shows you they won that game by three scores as well. So, uh, th- this is a team that's more than capable of leaning on their defense, leaning on their run game uh, to win games, and that's something that Carolina, that's not the greatest matchup for them. Let's look at some of the Tar Heel storylines heading into this game, though. And the first one is is a very obvious one. It's something that really scared me during this week when I realized uh, that this was going to be a factor yet again, and that's the fact that Carolina is a double-digit favorite again, 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I can't believe the line is actually that high. I know they're starting a true freshman quarterback who did not look great against Wake Forest, but it doesn't matter. Carolina has been horrible in these types of games uh, so far, you know, this season and really over the course of the last three seasons, Carolina has never been good against double digit favorites or as a double digit favorite, or really against teams that, Um, you know, seem to be down on their luck, especially at the quarterback position or having to start backup quarterbacks, whatever. Carolina's one in five in their last six matchups against backup or third string quarterbacks. Uh, Cheryl McMillan of Inside Carolina tweeted that out earlier this week. Um, that is just a pathetic stat. Um, and you're hoping that it's not something that comes up again in this one, but. Uh, in it with the struggles that Carolina's had against teams that have been much, much uh, worse all around than this Duke team, uh, going in as a double digit favorite, I think it's something that uh, is should be concerning to Tario fans. Yeah, I mean, because this team hasn't handled prosperity well, and it's something Mac Brown has addressed since he came back and they started experiencing prosperity and. Um, but this, that, that, that shouldn't be what's motivating you in this game. The fact you're a double digit dog, like this is a rivalry game. Um, you know, I know many schools play for a victory bell in the rivalry game, but you know, it's, it's important. Um, it's senior day and I don't think senior day means as much as it does on the basketball side of things. And also this is, this is your quarterback's last time out at home and a bunch of dudes who played for four years and five years. Like, that should be the motivating factor, not to go out there and poop the bed once again as a double-digit favorite at home because I'm with you. Um, and it, We know Vegas knows more than we know, but as two dudes that have followed Duke very closely, I don't think I don't think Carolina's winning this game by 13 points or more. And, and so uh, – but that should be the least of their – least of their concern is – oh, we don't want to blow the game because we're double-digit favorites. No, you don't want to lose because it's the final home game of the year. There's a victory bell that's, that needs to stay in Chapel Hill, and you want to send the guys out the right way. So um, if, if I was Mac Brown, that wouldn't even be addressed to me if I was talking to my team mm-hmm. leading up to the game during the week. Well, I mean, the one thing that I think 
kind of goes in Carolina's favor in this game where they're double digit favorites is that, right. This one is not due to prosperity. This is, this honestly has nothing to do with what Carolina has done. This is the fact that Duke is, is down to their third string quarterback. That's the only reason why this line is where it's at. So I, I think maybe that helps Carolina in this one. I hope it does. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that to me stuck out and immediately gave me some anxiety about this game. I'm not going to say that I felt super confident in, but at the same time, like even if Carolina was just nine and a half point favorites, it just feels different. It's the fact that when Carolina has been a double-digit favorite, they just cannot find a way to take to, to take the pressure off of themselves once they get into the game. It seems like even in some of these games, they start fast, but then all of a sudden, for some reason, they it's almost as if they remember, hey, we were supposed to win this game by double digits, and they panic. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen in this game. As you said, there's a lot of other motivating factors and hopefully they've also learned from the two losses earlier in the year where you were, uh, you know, not only double digit favorites, but 20 plus point favorites and lost both of those games. Um, now, you know, you go, let's focus on the offense here. And really, I think the biggest question is how does this Toriel offense handle their biggest defensive test? of the year. This is the best defense that Carolina has played so far. I know Miami was really good against the run. Um, the numbers would have told you that was a great defense. Actually, they, they at the time, uh, they were a better statistical defense than the one that you're going to face on Saturday night. We're deeper into the season now. We've seen, you know, what has happened to Miami's defense. This is the best defense that Carolina has faced so far and potentially will face so far. I know Clemson is very close to them, uh, the group that they'll face next week. A lot of the points that Clemson has led up so far this year uh, have been in in large part because their offense has put them in a bad spot. Um, but it's really one of these these two defenses they face in the next couple of weeks. Both of these these groups are right up there near the top of the country in terms of the best defensive units. And Look, this was the point last year where Carolina started facing tougher defenses down the stretch of the year, and things started sputtering a little bit on offense. How does this year's offense sort of handle um, you know, what will be the start of a significantly tougher defensive uh, stretch that they have to face uh, coming, coming down to these final three games? It all starts up front. It all, it all starts – with with the group up front and the physicality, can can they set the tone um, and and be the team and be the unit that wears down the other unit? Because that's the thing about Duke's defensive line. You mentioned it; it's not one dude or two dudes. They've got four dudes that you got to take. Uh, uh, you know, you got to be uh, accounted for, and then even more guys. Like you know, they're going to rotate guys in, and that's 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 their, that's their calling card. Um, if you really go back and if you look at why they were able to to beat Clemson the way that they beat them, they they wore down Clemson's offensive line and they lived in the backfield. Um, and some of the other games where the offense hasn't put up the points and the defense has had to carry the the torch, that defensive line's been the biggest reason why. And so um, it's going to be can 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 Carolina play through the physicality that they're going to have to play through up front? Um, Amari and Hampton needs to be prepared for. 
the fact that he's not going to run through these dudes as easily as some of the other teams he's ran through. Duke's going to put a hat on him. They're going to put and they're going to be physical with him. Um, and same thing with Drake May because they are they're going to they're going to pressure him. They're going to get in his face. How does he respond to that? And and so um, I, I think this team this year has been the most physical. Carolina's been at least since the COVID year where Carolina was just so good running the ball, they were able to wear teams down. We're going to need to see that tomorrow night because I think I think this game is going to be rather low scoring for what we were what we're used to seeing. I don't see either team getting out of the, the 20s in this game, um, which which tells me the more physical team um, it will be the one that emerges as the winner. Yeah, I, I mean, the offensive line is the area you have to look at because when you know, I, as I mentioned last year around this time, this was where things started to turn for Carolina, and it really went back to the offensive line play. Carolina started to get beat up front, um, you know, starting against Georgia Tech when they faced a guy off the edge in Keon White that was drafted um, in the second round of, of the NFL draft. And, look, this group up front for Duke, they may not have a guy that's going to go that high in the draft, but across the board they are very, very solid. Um, Carolina's got to be able to run the football in this game. That was one of the things that we didn't really talk a lot, a lot about it late last year. We talked more about the pressure on Drake May, um, you know, on passing downs. But a big part of that was that Carolina simply could not run the ball at a high level late in the year. They, they to Phil Longo's credit, uh, in you know the the Georgia Tech game and NC State game, he tried to run the football, but the yards simply just weren't there. Carolina's got to stick with it, even if it doesn't it show up early on in terms of the number of yards, the average yards per carry. Carolina's got to be able to wear this group down and and really the, the next two opponents as well. You've got to be able to wear them down with your running game because you've got one of the best running backs in college football right now. you got to keep using him. You cannot bail on him. You just can't. So hopefully that is the mindset that Chip Lindsey takes into this game. I've told you. I think the last three game plans that Chip Lindsey has had on offense, um, or, or three of the last four, excuse me, love this game plan against Georgia Tech, but three of the last four with that Miami game um, up until last week against Campbell, I, I thought his early game plans have been horrible. In this game, that can't happen. There needs to be a focus early on of using the traditional run. Don't come out with the jet sweeps trying to get the ball in the hands of Hampton, just give him the ball and let him go to work. Um, use Drake May's legs at times too. I, I, I think you know that's something that you don't want to do too much of because you you don't want to put him in, in harm's way too often. But at the same time, we've seen it when they've used his legs, it's worked. I think that's going to be part of what Carolina has to do offensively if they want to pass this huge test. Go over to the other side of the ball. The biggest question here is, was last week what the defense needed to sort of recover from a rough two-game stretch? Look, Virginia was bad for this defense, wasn't good at all. They did not stop the run well at all. They let up uh, too many crucial third downs and big pass plays late in the game. Georgia Tech was rock bottom, you hope, for this defense. In this game, you're hoping that last week, even though it wasn't a great start early, you let up a lot of rushing yards early in the game, 
that it was still enough to sort of jumpstart this defense and really more than anything, enough to give this group confidence once again that they can actually be a solid unit and one that, um, you know, can, can, can just hold their own and give Carolina's offense a chance to where that group doesn't need to convert every single possession into a touchdown. I don't, I honestly, I don't know what the answer to this question is, but I think we'll learn pretty quick on uh, Saturday night as to whether or not last week was what they needed to sort of regain some confidence. You'll find out by the way that Gene Chizik calls the game, because there's really no excuse for him not to be aggressive. Um, you're, you're, you know, with, with you playing a third string quarterback, you should be looking to um, apply a, a ton of pressure to him and make him make plays and beat you. If if we if Carolina comes out and you're kind of seeing a more conservative approach where they're trying to keep everything in front of them, um, I think that's going to tell you all that you need to know, which is that he he doesn't trust him. Um, I don't think it's the most encouraging sign that Campbell was able to move some of your starters uh, around up front a week ago, like the way they were to the first quarter, quarter and a half or so, uh, because that's going to be Duke's game plan. I mean, even if Raleigh Leonard was healthy, that was going to be the game plan, which would be to run the ball and try to shorten the game. And so um, the answer is to be determined because we'll find out tomorrow night. But I think, more so than anything, you'll we'll know where this defense stands by the game that Gene Chizik calls. If you if it's more the defensive play calling we saw from Virginia and Georgia Tech, um, for you that'll be watching at home and us that'll be in the stands, that'll be the telltale sign that he doesn't trust this unit and he's just basically biding his time for the end of the season. Well, the thing is, he's got to just – I mean, he has to learn from the Virginia and Georgia Tech games. It's just that simple. You didn't load the box against either one of those teams. It is so obvious this team's going to try to come out and run the ball. Why in the world would their game plan be, ah, let's let's throw the ball 40 or 50 times with a true freshman quarterback? Like Grayson Loftus, I mean, look, I think there's there's potential with the kid just from seeing some of the throws that he made the other night against Wake Forest. Um, they they definitely the, the Duke receivers had some drop problems in that game that prevented him from having a better game. This this is not a five star quarterback that's coming into this game, so their game plan is going to be run the football. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, they probably have watched the the tape from the Georgia Tech fourth quarter religiously and said, "How can we recreate this?" So. For Gene Chizik, you better come with a game plan that is built to stop the run. Because guess what? All that stuff that you said about getting pressure on Loftus, about forcing turnovers from him, you're not going to be able to do that if you can't stop the run. They're just going to run the football the entire night on you. The other thing they got to be prepared for in this game, and hopefully they have been talking about this in practice this week and potentially preparing as well as they can for it, Henry Bielan is not going to start this game. That's the normal backup for Duke. That's the guy that played the first time that Leonard went down against NC State, everything like that. Um, he's potentially going to be available. He was questionable last week, did not play. This week, he may be available. They may just be choosing to start Loftus. Is he as available as Justin Fields was last night for the Bears, who was doubtful when ruled out, but still had a 49% chance to play going into the game? 
But yeah, Matt Eberflus could really use the college rules uh, in terms of injuries. Um, I, I mean, just just at, at one point in that press conference, by the way, he actually says that he's out. He, he actually admits, oh, no, he's out. He's not playing. And then he says, oh, no, but, he, but he's doubtful. There's a chance he could play. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it is one of those types of situations. But my point is, is that Carolina's got to be prepared because you can't get caught off guard. Remember, We've had multiple instances in the last few years where players have admitted to the media after games, yeah, we weren't prepared for such and such, such and such quarterback. Um, it's honestly, it's happened two years in a row to Carolina. So they they've got to figure out a way to be prepared for both quarterbacks because yeah, Beelin is a guy. If he's in there, he's going to be in there to run the football. He can throw it a little bit. Don't mm-hmm. get that wrong, but that's going to be the main reason they're putting him in the game. So. That's the thing. They, they've got to be on their toes. They have to be aggressive, as you said, especially when it comes to playing against the run. Uh, and really, I mean, you, you you know, talked about trench play on the offensive side. That's where it really starts. You got to you, you got to be able to do something up front. If you can't hold your own this game, it, 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 you're going to be in a track meet. You said that it might that, that it'll probably be in the 20s. Um, if, if Carolina can't hold up up front, I, I mean. It, it, they're they're going to have to score in the 30s, possibly 40s, uh, to have a chance to win this game, which is sad considering that Duke's offense uh, is far from the most lethal group uh, that they're going to face this season, especially with a backup quarterback. Um, the the uh, the next storyline that I have really just focuses on the rivalry as a whole, and it's what craziness could lie ahead in this installment of the rivalry. I told you that Carolina, they've won four straight in this rivalry. And look, the 2020 matchup, Carolina blows them out in Durham. 2021, Carolina methodical beatdown of that team uh, in Keenan Stadium. But those those games really are in the middle of two just iconic games. You have the matchup in 2019 where Chad Surratt picks the ball off uh, in the end zone on a – leaping play uh, that uh, it will be remembered in this rivalry forever, honestly. And in the offseason, I've thought about it because I've seen it so many times. They play it in the video in Keenan Stadium this year, uh, which I absolutely love. I believe I think it's like a Blue Cross Blue Shield ad or something like that. Um, the call of that one from Jones Angel is outstanding. That's one that should probably be in the start of the podcast, so I'll probably work on that in the offseason. But that one – Truly one of the most iconic games in this rivalry's history. Then you go to last year, and Carolina, I mean, in a back-and-forth affair with Duke, there was a point in that game, very similar to a lot of games for Carolina last year, where it felt like uh, they you know, were running away with the game at one point. Duke storms back in the fourth quarter. They take the lead. It looks like, oh, my God, Carolina is going to lose this game on the road at Duke. Uh, this could be, it could have been if Carolina lost that game, what turned the season even earlier, um, than you know, what, where it turned last year for the team, but Drake may leads a game winning drive down the field. It hits Antoine green in the end zone, Antoine green, an unbelievable job to somehow toe tap and get a foot down. Uh, and it ends up becoming, uh, again, one of the most iconic moments in the history of this rivalry. And we've seen Carolina play a lot of close games here with Duke in the past years. It really feels like, honestly, it's either a close game between these two or it's a blowout win for Carolina. So 
Here's the thing. Is it going to be another iconic moment for Carolina? Is that potentially what uh, lies on the horizon? Or, uh, you know, could Carolina get a, a more significant victory uh, like the people in Vegas think? I think it's probably setting up for another iconic moment. Yeah, I mean, you hope there's nothing crazy about the way this this game finishes up tomorrow. Um, my least, uh, my anxiety does, yes. You know, I'm I'm not hoping to look for Chas or you know look for a player to intercept the ball at the goal line after letting Duke drive 99 yards, you know, in a few minutes to have a chance to win the game, or having to make you know some heroic catch in the end zone like Antoine Green had to make a year ago. I think the biggest thing is is making the most of this and really enjoying this on the football side of things while it has some meaning. Um, because we know what it means when these two teams get together on the hardwood. That version is the best rivalry in sports. There's been four or five times they've met in football where it's actually meant something. Um, and when that's happened, it's it's been, for the most part, a lot of fun. Outside in 2013 when Duke won in Keenan Stadium to clinch a spot in the ACC title game. And so um, as a chance for Drake May to continue um, his prowess against in-state opponents um, and to finish his career, you would imagine, uh, undefeated against the Blue Devils, which would be uh, something that him and Sam Howell would have in common. Um, so, you know, of course, we got to wait to see what kind of craziness is in store, but hopefully there's none and, I just know for me as a fan that, you know, hates that university. This game has meaning. This game has passion. And so I'm going to enjoy the heck out of it because it should make for a pretty fun environment tomorrow night inside Keenan Stadium. The last storyline is probably the most important one. And this is one that Carolina really needs to understand going into this game. Yeah, not only is it a rivalry game, this is the game that determines your season. If you lose this game, it's going to be really hard to recover from this because you then have to go on the road to Clemson. And look, as bad as Clemson has been playing, guys, they've lost one game at home so far this year. And it was an overtime loss to Florida State. So, I mean, you couple that then with a game on the road at NC State to close the season. NC State is playing a lot better than than, than people thought. And look, they're going through their own situation right now with MJ Morris, who was 3-1 as a starter in the last four games, deciding to step away from the team and redshirt. Um, But still, that's that's a team that coming into that game, uh, I, I don't see them coming in with, uh, you know, more than four four losses on the season. I don't I, – I mean, this is – and you know they're going to be motivated for that game. Um, so, for Carolina, this is a crucial one. They absolutely need this one at home. Not to mention, you know, final game that you would imagine for Drake May, potentially the final game for Tez Walker, and you've got all these other guys who are seniors. But this game, if you want to get – to a point where you can call this season a success. Drake May said that in order to call this season a success, you had to go to the ACC championship game. I don't, at this point, don't necessarily agree with that. I think if you get to 10 wins this season, no matter how you get there, whether you get there in the regular season or if you get there with a bowl win, that still should be seen as a very successful season, especially if Louisville runs the table and finishes 11-1 and one with an, a much easier conference schedule 
than you had, I think you can still hold your head high. It's going to suck because you're going to look back on two losses that shouldn't have been losses, but you can still hold your head high. In order to do that, though, this is a game you absolutely have to have. Yeah, because it, it keeps the majority of your goals still in play. Um, there's a good chance by the time Carolina takes the field tomorrow night, they'll already be eliminated from ACC championship uh, contention. But, you know, to still have your chance to go 10-2 and two in the regular season um, for this program would mean a lot because, you, you know, double-digit win seasons don't happen uh, a lot around here. And it would give, you know, uh, Drake May 19 wins as as, as, as a Tar Heel starter. That's, that's a pretty impressive number over two years. And so – um, and also like the, you know, as you mentioned, the next two games that Carolina has, they're not, they're not guaranteed wins. Like going to Clemson's not going to be easy. Um, it appears that Tyler from Spartanburg has reinvigorated Dabo in that dynasty. Damn and then we Tyler. just all know the horror of that playing NC State has become for this program. Yep. Um, but you get a chance to, to win. You, 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 if you win tomorrow, you've got a chance to really, have some positive momentum heading into those two games. And so, you know, um, I do think you got to be worried about if Carolina uh, is eliminated, if they come out flat or not. But then I go back to the first thing we talked about. It's a rivalry game. It's senior day. Um, and it's your last uh, game at home for, for your quarterback. So hopefully this team is is mentally prepared to put together their best effort we've seen so far in 2023. Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest, like, in terms of the mindset, like, look, first of all, you should have had since last night to get, let that sink in. Like, guys, Florida State's not losing to Miami. I, I hate to break it to you. It's not happening. Um, I, I don't see any chance. Miami with Tyler Van Dyke. Tyler Van Dyke is back to the same quarterback that he was last year. The dude is terrible. Um, so, I, 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 I mean – Reality should have sunk in on Thursday night. And I got to be honest, you probably should have known it even before then. When you lose to Virginia, when you lose to Georgia Tech, that probably should have been the moment where you know, yeah, we're probably not going back to the ACC championship game. Yep. We still have a chance to have a special season. So to me, that's there, there is absolutely no excuse. You should not be worried about that at all. Um and again, we, we laid it out there. Ten wins for this program would be huge because if, if you win nine and ten games respectively with the best quarterback in program history, you can still feel pretty satisfied about what you did in his time there. So that should be the motivation for this group um, is, is come out and, and get to that double-digit win mark that the program has only gotten to once since Mac Brown left after his first stint. There's there's a lot to play for here, and hopefully that's the mindset that these guys take. Let's get to our keys to the game, three of them, as always. The first one is be ready for a fight. 13.5-point underdog is Duke in this game, but it ain't going to matter. Duke is going to come out ready for this game. Uh, they, they know that – you know, Carolina has had issues against double-digit opponents uh, or du double-digit underdogs uh, so far this year. And as I mentioned in the previous two years as well, 
So they're going to come out motivated and know that, hey, they've got a chance in this game. Carolina's got to be ready to take it to this team. Um, that, you know, plays, I think, honestly, the way that they've played and the reason I think they matched up very well uh, with this team earlier in the year, they play a lot like Notre Dame. Um, they are a team that's incredibly physical, especially in the trenches. Um, they're going to lean on their run game a lot. Carolina's got to be ready to go and be ready for a fight in this one uh, if they want to come away with a victory. And it really comes down to how does how does Mac Brown get his team prepared? Um, because you know there there were challenges after the you know the Virginia game to get you ready for Georgia Tech. You weren't able to really get your guys ready to play, and this is going to be a Duke team that um, is is going to come in motivated. And and, and look, no really learned that that team still believes. We talked about how they found ways to win in spite of bad quarterback play, and and so they they've got to be prepared. Um, for this to be the most physical game they've played so far this season. So how, how Carolina um, handled that this week. And also you got to remember Duke's going to be more fresh because they played last Thursday, whereas mm-hmm. Carolina didn't play until last Saturday on Saturday like you normally do in college. So they've got two days uh, extra rest on you as well. So Carolina's got to be prepared because Duke's going to come out, look to pop you in the mouth and see if you're ready to play their brand of smash mouth football. And if you're not, it could spell trouble for the Tar Heels. Well, another thing uh, that they have to do in this game, uh, and it might ultimately be the most important key, is to hold your own on the line of scrimmage. And that's the thing. Usually when this is a key, we say win in the trenches, win the line of scrimmage, whatever. In this game, that's asking a lot. A lot of teams have struggled to do that against Duke. What we're asking is to hold your own against this group that is going to be incredibly physical. To me, I'm not really overly worried about this offensive line against Duke's defensive line. I think that Duke's defensive line is incredibly talented, but believe it or not, I I, I have some confidence in this offensive line, the way that they've played the majority of the season when they've been healthy. I know they're not at full strength. You got a couple of guys that have been banged up uh, here throughout the season, but it still feels like this group is in pretty good shape. They've still been playing good football. I feel like that's a matchup that they are more apt to win uh, than on the other side of the ball. That's the the area that I am most concerned, but Carolina has got to find a way. These guys have to dig deep and find a way to put up at least a solid performance where they do make some plays in the run game. They do get after the quarterback against this talented Duke offensive line, because if they don't, then it's going to be really hard for Carolina to win this one. Well, the thing is that Carolina's offensive line this year, for the most part, whenever they've been challenged, they've, they've actually stood up and rose to the occasion. You go back to that Miami game where that was the best run defense in the country Carolina ran all over them. So um, I think Carolina on that side of the ball was going to be prepared. But it comes down to the defensive line. Like this like this has got to be a game where Carolina sets the edge as well as they have at any point in the season. Yep. This has got to be a game where, you know, someone outside of Cayman Rucker up front's making plays. I think Bo Atkinson has been a, a nice uh, a guy the second half of the season that's really come on and made some plays. You need Des Evans to do the things that he can do. Javari Ritzy, like Kevin Hester, you know, like those guys, they got to be impactful because if not, if Duke is able to wash you out up front, 
they're going to run the ball. They're going to shorten the game and play the type of game that you want to play. And so um, I'm with you. I think Carolina's offensive line, for the most part, is going to hold their own. Um, they're going to they're going to get beat a time or two because Duke's just that good up front. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, especially if Duke's without their best lineman, like Carolina's got to be able to exploit that and make them pay like they have in certain games this year where they got the quarterback, i.e. South Carolina and Miami, where they made long nights for Spencer Rattler and uh, Tyler Van Dyke. Well, building off of that with the defensive line, I think the third key is slow down the run. And we talked a little bit about this earlier, but this is absolutely crucial for Carolina in this game. Everybody knows what Georgia Tech did to this team in the fourth quarter. And look, last week, maybe that helped you a little bit in terms of just getting some guys some rest. Because, yeah, by the fourth quarter of that game against Georgia Tech, this group probably was a little bit worn down. Virginia ran the football extremely well against them, wore them down up front. And then they came back the next week against Georgia Tech. And Georgia Tech, especially early in the game, you go back to that second quarter, used a lot of tempo and really exhausted this defense as they got into the fourth quarter. Last week, you got a chance to get these guys off their feet a little bit. Hopefully that helped them sort of reset just a little bit. But now you're going up against a team that you know is going to run the football. They have no choice. They don't have a quarterback that they can stand back there and throw the ball with 40 times and win a game. That was never their game plan. Even when Riley Leonard was back there, he's a guy that really hurt teams with his mobility on the ground. That's not what Loftus really does. He's still a guy that is does have a little bit of mobility to him, but he's not nearly the runner that Riley Leonard is. But still, they're going to lean on their two running backs, Jordan Walters, Jacquez Moore. Carolina's got to come out with a, one, a good game plan. Got to load the box. I want to see, first, I, I will say this. I thought that you saw at times in the middle of the season, Carolina used stick lane a lot um, coming downhill and making plays in the run game. I know Don Chapman has had a better year for you. I don't think Don Chapman should start in this game. He should not play the majority of the snaps at that uh, that one safety spot. It should be Geo Biggers and stick lane playing on defense for you uh, or playing in that at safety for you because you need a guy that can stop the run. And Stick Lane has the capability to do that. Don Chapman does not. Carolina, to me, if you put seven in the box and make this team beat you through the air, you've got the edge rushers, and you you have corners that have created enough turnovers and safeties at that, at, at that point um, that have created enough turnovers this year to be able to make this a long night for Duke's passing game. But – it doesn't matter if you don't find a way to stop this running game. Absolute must in this one. Yeah, I feel like this has to be a game where Carolina gives up like a buck fifty at the most on the ground because I think if Duke runs for more than that, it might be a game where they run maybe all over you. And, and really, the, to me, the most important thing is 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 not letting Duke control the time of possession the way that they like they're going to need to. Last year, Duke's offense was able to go blow for blow with you. Like, the game got into a shootout. Their their offense was built for it. That's not the case this year. Um, and we knew we knew it after the Georgia Tech game that um, every team moving forward was going to look at that film and see what they did well. 
Um, you saw some of it against Campbell, but eventually your talent, your depth really took over. But that's not going to be the case for them these next three games. Your next three opponents are going to look at that film, see what Georgia Tech did well, and try to do that against you. And so, uh, to me, this has to be a game where Carolina, they just got to have a backbone. And at some point, they got to say, like, enough is enough. Like, we're tired of getting ran over. We're tired of getting drug up and down the field by inferior opponents. Not that Duke is an inferior opponent, but that's been the case in some other games. And so, um, I think this has to be a game where Carolina, at the maximum, 150 rush yards. You give up more than that, I, I, I think we might be talking about a, a loss when we come bit, when we come back and recap this thing. All right. Well, let's get to our predictions for this game against the Duke Blue Devils. I'll let you go first on this one. I'm gonna be honest. If Ryan Leonard was healthy, I'd, I would I'd pick Duke to win um, because I, I've watched Duke a lot. Uh, you know, I think this is, I mean, you, you you don't almost beat Notre Dame. You don't take a lead into the fourth quarter uh, at Florida State unless you're a really, really good football team. Um, but without him, they're not a really, really good football team. They're just a, a good football team. Um, I think Carolina will be inspired to play once again at home, at night, in front of a capacity crowd. Um, there should be a great energy, a great atmosphere in the stadium. God, I hope so, so Mac Brown doesn't blame the student section of things go wrong on Saturday. And I think Carolina makes the one or two plays they're going to have to make in the fourth quarter to pull out a 27-21 victory. Uh, again, just amazing how in sync we are with uh, some of these predictions. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think the environment will be outstanding. I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. I think this will be right up there. And unfortunately, because of uh, COVID, I wasn't able, and uh, you didn't go either, uh, to the game against Miami. Um, but I would imagine it'll be right there with that environment. I, I think this it, people are going to be cranked up for this game. Um, and I think the players know this game is important because he said, look, Drake Bay said in his press conference the other day, you never know. Everybody in that locker room knows this is Drake May's final game. And I would hope that that serves as motivation. The other seniors as well, but especially Drake, that that serves as motivation for this team to come out inspired and be ready to go. I will say this, Carolina, they, they have had issues with motivation at times against some of these conference opponents, rivals in particular. This has not been one of those games. Carolina always seems to come out inspired for games against Duke. I don't know what's different. I don't know, you know, why it's it seems like, especially Mac Brown's teams always seem to be hyped for these games. But this is one that, as we said earlier, you absolutely need. I think there'll be a level of urgency. I think there'll uh, be a, le a level of confidence that was built a little bit uh, off of last week. Uh, that just allowed them to sort of clear their heads. I think that was exactly what the team needs, but I think they'll be in for a fight. Duke is a really, really good football team on both sides of the ball. I think Carolina, they make the plays late. I'm with you. I think they've got the better quarterback. They've got a guy that is playing some of the best football in the country right now in Drake May. You've got a, a running back that's one of the best in the entire country. I think they'll lean on those two guys. On the offensive side of the ball, they do enough late in the game, and I think Carolina wins it 27-24 over the Duke Blue Devils. So 
Uh, that is going to wrap it up for uh, this edition of the podcast, guys. Hey, make sure you make sure you head over to the website. Uh, sorry, it is late. Uh, and check out the uh, we'll have the preview up in the morning, uh, a little in depth, trying to get the latest uh, injury updates uh, for Duke. Uh, they had a lot of significant guys that were out last week. Uh, so we'll make sure that uh, we try to get as much information on how many guys are going to be out for them again this week for you guys uh, that we'll put into the article. Also in there, team breakdowns, uh, team stack comparisons, all sorts of stuff to get you ready for the game tomorrow night in Keenan Stadium. Uh, also, while you're there, make sure that you guys are uh, checking out uh, some of the great stuff that we have. You go back to last week. Uh, during the game last week, Carolina did land a commitment in the 2024 class, more than likely their final one uh, from Leroy Jackson. So make sure you go back and check that out. You can also check out the Drake May article uh, of, of him talking about uh, what he sees uh, lying ahead in his future, uh, whether or not he thinks uh, there is a chance that he can come back to Carolina and he uh, why he will not walk tomorrow uh, at senior day. Uh, he'll let that, uh, you know, that honor go to the seniors. So all that stuff is on the website for you guys to check out. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, uh, look, Carolina plays on the gridiron tomorrow night. Then Carolina Athletics turns around and the basketball program plays on the hard court at 2 o'clock against Lehigh on Sunday afternoon. Me and Josh, we're doing the double. We're going to be there for that game as well. Uh, and then he will have the recap for you guys on the website, just like he did from the Radford game. If you want to go back and check that recap out, make sure you do that. He'll have the preview up there for you guys as well that you can check out. Uh, so a bunch of great content on the basketball side of things starting to roll out. And one of those great pieces of content uh, was an article that uh, Josh wrote yesterday about Hubert Davis uh, potentially being right about some of these guys that didn't play a year ago. Uh, check out how they're doing in their new spots and why the head coach of the Tar Heels may have been trying to tell us all along that uh, these guys weren't quite as good as some people believed. Uh, so all that stuff over there on the website. Me and him, of course, will have you covered on the podcast side of things. Uh, the Four Corners podcast all throughout the basketball season. You can find that the same place that you can find the Heel Tough Log podcast, Google uh, podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, all those great places or wherever you listen to your podcast. So once again, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Tar Heels and go to Hell Dudes.